Welcome to the NIHR Dementia Researcher podcast, brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk, in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world. Hello. Thank you for listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Adam Smith, and I'm joined today by three early career dementia researchers to discuss mental health struggles in academia, which is often seen as something everybody needs to go through, but do they? Before we start, I want to explain that this is the first podcast we're recording since the social distancing measures came into place. And this means that we're using a slightly different method to record and the sound quality might not be as great as it would normally be. Uh, but we hope you can still understand. Uh, and on the bonus side, we may even release a video version of this podcast. <laughs> so in this podcast, we'll chat about the factors that play into those struggles and the experiences of our panellists in moving through those challenges I mentioned earlier and how they came out on the other side. Circumstances have changed a little since we planned this podcast, uh, making the topic even more pertinent now than ever before. So we're going to keep with the original planned format but we will also touch on what's going on outside right now since the measures came into force to protect people from coronavirus because because that really does add to the to the extra struggles that I think we might all face. Um, it's a little hard to sound upbeat in these months, but I'm genuinely delighted to introduce Dr. Katie Askew, a postdoctoral research fellow at the University of Edinburgh and owner of two bunnies called Lola and Flocky. Is it Floki? Floki. Hello, Katie. Hi. I also have uh, Dr. Isabel Castano, a postdoctoral researcher from the University of Exeter and a practitioner of aerial yoga and a frontline soldier in the battle against Omnics, um, which in layman terms means that she plays a lot of video games. How are you going with the practicing your aerial yoga whilst self-isolating, Isabel? <laughs> um, the aerial yoga was more of a short phase, but <laughs> yoga is definitely still um, a constant in my life. Well, hello, Isabel. And last but not least, we have Makis. Oh, I'm going to have a crack at your surname, Makis. Zoras. Almost there. Oh, Zoras. Zoras, who is a PhD student from the University of Edinburgh. Could you feel like it sounds like? You've been a PhD student forever. Are you nearly finishing? Well, that's the thing about the PhD. It lasts both for a second and also for a lifetime. <laughs> so I was, when we did the podcast last year, it was in my second year and now I'm in my third year. Um, and I've got a bit less than a year left now. Okay. So it's not been as long as it, it feels like. I just seem to have seen you around for ages. I know, I know. I just, I'll never go. It's just always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You'll, you'll get it soon eventually. I'll get it soon, and also for the Brooklyn Nine Nine fans, I'll have to say, shh, not a doctor. <laughs> well, and also as well, I should say that we we uh, allow panelists to choose the title of each podcast, and today's title, get ready for this, is. If you can't love yourself, then how the hell are you going to love your science? A semi-serious chat about self-care in academia. I, I instantly thought that I would have you to thank for this, Mackis, because of course you are famous for our Fifty Shades of Microglia, um, of which you, those of you recall, we recorded at the AIUK conference last March. But I gather it's not your title. 
it's not mine. I have to give all the credit to Katie, who so brilliantly came up with it. Yeah, I don't know quite where it came from. Well, okay, that's a lie. I binged watched 11 seasons of Drag Race in about three months because I live on my own. So even when I'm not, you know, stuck in my flat, I have a lot of free time. Um, and I have this thing about two part titles for things. I don't like it to just be one thing. It needs to have an explanation after it. <laughs> and I should probably grow out of that at some point, but like a subtitle. And, and so will we recognize that in your papers when you, you, you publish? <laughs> Is that something you've sneaked in? <laughs> in one of them already, yes. <laughs> Well, I would like to thank you because it makes it really fun to try and squeeze that into the title of a podcast. Because when you're going to look at this on your app, it's going to be one of those that kind of, it'll get to the first part. I think we'll get to, if you can't love yourself, and then we'll get dot, dot, dot. And who knows what people will think we've been talking about. If you can't love yourself, just give up now. No point. I'm kidding. Okay. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for joining us. Um, so before we start, could I perhaps ask you to do a more serious introduction of yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Katie, could you maybe go first? Sure. Um, so I did my PhD at the University of Southampton in neuroimmunology and finished in November 2018. Uh, so then I moved up to Edinburgh for my first postdoc. So I'm over halfway through that now. I'm supposed to finish next March, which is somewhat stressful with how much there is left to do and the time constraints we now find ourselves in. Um, but at the moment, I'm trying to figure out how uh, the innate immune cells of the brain microglia um, contribute to white matter damage in a rodent model of vascular cognitive impairment. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. We're trying to write up a paper at the moment, which is super exciting. So like, it's, it's a, a good time in the lab. And I was just about to start another big study, which would have also been exciting. It's now on pause for a little bit, but things are going well and I'm really enjoying it. Fantastic. Thank you, uh, Katie. How about you, Isabel? Oh, hi again, my name is Isabel Castanho and I'm a postdoc at the University of Exeter where I actually did my PhD. So originally I come from the Azores Islands, did all my um, undergraduate and master's training in Maine, Portugal. And then I moved to the UK in 2015 to do my uh, PhD, which was, uh, it's in an epigenetics lab, but my PhD was more focused on gene expression. And currently I'm doing research more into epigenetics and this all in the context of Alzheimer's disease using mouse models. So I finished my PhD last year and then uh, got married, started the postdoc, and I'm, I just finished the first year of the postdoc. And I guess something that I just wanted to mention uh, for being here today, I was so excited when I saw this um, a great title <laughs> and theme topic on Twitter, um, because um, for me, it's, it's quite close to my heart. I do have a fair amount of experience with mental health as I'm no stranger to anxiety, uh, which I've been learning to control over the past few years. And I do have a history of depression in the past, but uh, something that I'm very proud of, which I achieved during the PhD and now a postdoc, is that I, I guess I've evolved and today I cherish my mental health much more and uh, take care of it. And I'm looking forward to discuss all of this with you guys today. Thanks, Isabel. <coughs> and um, Marcus? 
Yeah, so hi, I'm Akis. Uh, I'm a PhD student still at the University of Edinburgh. Um, I'm also working on microglial cells, which I really, really love. Um, so my project is a little bit different to Katie's because I'm looking at how microglia and synapses interact in Alzheimer's disease and in the aging brain. Um, and it's been a very interesting journey, the whole PhD. Um, I have to say I have enjoyed most of it, but when I went in it, I, I knew of the challenges in mental health that people face. And I really went in thinking, you know what, I think I'll be okay. And no matter what happens, I'll just keep a positive attitude. And it doesn't always work out that way, but then you go through it and you learn how to make the most of situations. So um, just before we go into the whole topic of, of mental health and academia, I think um, everyone can get help and everyone can get better. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for those introductions and for being so honest as well, which is, we know that these can be tough things to talk about. And, and I feel guilty now for, for taking the mickey out of you, Marcus, at the start, saying you're still a PhD student. Uh, for all I know, that could be one of the things that's really preying on your mind. So I, I apologise. I hope you know it was only joke. Not at all. Honestly, it, it's not been... I've really been enjoying the PhD process, and I've been lucky enough to be in a great lab and uh, with great people, great supervisor. Um, if anything, I keep telling my supervisor, I just... I wish I could just stay a PhD student with you forever and just stay here and never go. Oh, well, that's something that I think we'd all like in academia is, is, is a place to be forever, right? And, yeah. and, and I, I should say, Katie, you're coming to the end of your fellowship, did you say? And do you know what your next move is? Or is that adding to the anxiety? You're in Scotland right now. It's really cold up there. It's nice and warm in England. So today it's going to be 17 degrees. Do you know how much that is? <laughs> 17. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a weird one because I, when I finished, I mean, like everybody else, I have a long history with mental health problems, um, which were around before I started in academia, but I'd say academia probably hasn't helped. Um, and at the end of my PhD, I was very done with not with science, but I just, the love had kind of gone out of it. You know, it had been such a slog to get to the end. Um, things hadn't been working, lots of stuff had been going on. And I wanted to do a postdoc to see if I still loved science. Um, and if, you know, that spark would come back and because I had always wanted to, you know, be in academia, have my own lab, be a PI. I now don't want my own lab which is fine. Um, it's taken me a long time to come to that being an okay thing. Um, because I love being at the bench. And I mean, to a certain extent, I do really like writing. I had a great time writing my thesis. Um, but there's a lot of, I mean, this could be a whole nother podcast. There's a lot of aspects of academia that don't sit quite right with me. Um, but I don't know what I would do if I wasn't in academia at the moment, you know, because, yeah. That, that's a struggle. We, uh, James Quinn, who you may know from Manchester, recorded a uh, webinar with us uh, last week, and he kind of raised this issue about 
do you want to do a postdoc? Um, is it really the right thing for you? Is a fellowship? And he'd, he'd made a big slide of all the other jobs you could do with that skill set. Uh, so go and, ha go and have a look. It was a bigger list than I expected. You know, there was lots of stuff in there. You could become a teacher. You could become these various other things. You didn't have to follow that path. Well, thank you very much again, everybody, for sharing that. Um, when I introduced you, I kind of deliberately selected something from part of your bios that was around a fun fact. Um, and then, of course, I brought you all back to the science and I want to take you back to those fun facts again now. So how, how important do you feel it is to, to get away from the science with those work activities? Um, maybe, Macis, if you could, do you have some interests outside of work? So I'm not, I'm definitely not the kind of person that has, um, you know, all these hobbies and stuff like that. Um, I do a lot of things after work because I realised you really need to switch off when you leave work. And I learned that the hard way because I would not stop thinking about work when I would go home. Um, so whether that is watching Drag Race or um, doing some exercise or recently I've taken up painting, me, I used to get a C minus in art and now I'm doing that and it's been really fun. So I like to switch things up a lot. I'm not the kind of person that will do one thing as a hobby and just keep on that. Um, but it's absolutely important to just switch off, you leave work and that's it. Next day you go back. If you have a problem, you'll face it tomorrow. It's not the problem that you should take home. Do you have work emails come through on your iPhone? I do. Yeah. Um, I think... Do you read them? I read them. I... It doesn't matter. I got an email um, at 2am and I woke up from it and I still had a look at it just to see what is it. And I, I didn't reply, but I still had a look and um, yeah, maybe you should take my own advice a bit better. <laughs> Well, I, I've often thought about this myself, about, about trying to find a way to turn work emails off. Whilst I do need them on my phone because I'm out and about through the day and I do need to check them to be able to... I'm not disciplined enough to be able to say at five o'clock I'm going to turn those off. And, and it can ruin a whole evening. I can read something that frustrates me or, or, and then I play this over and over again. You know, over and over again in my head and I'll, I'll stew on these things and it can kind of really down my mood um and like you those kind of other things distract me and and help but um it's good that you you managed to leave the lab at home and and have that work separation yeah it was a long process but i mean it still happens but as much as possible i try to just leave it behind but there is a part of me that just I, I need to be able to i need to be reachable if you know what i mean so if if the world is on fire and someone needs to let me know that the world is on fire, I need to be reachable. Um, and if I decide to do something about that or say, well, the world's on fire, I can't do anything about it. It's, it's now up to me, but it's giving me peace of mind knowing that if someone needs something, they have the option of reaching me. So again, I guess you do manage to escape. What about you, Katie? So, I mean, I'm, I've realised that I say I mean quite a lot. So I'm going to apologise to everyone for that now because I can't stop saying it. Um, 
I've always thought that there's this idea in academia that if work isn't your whole life that you're not like good enough or dedicated enough I'm doing the fingers if we do release this video you'll be able to see it I'm doing quotation fingers um and I just don't buy that I think that's a load of rubbish um because I, I love my work but I also really want to have a life outside of work and you know for my mental health I cannot function if I don't switch off. Um, so I used to have my emails on my phone until like last summer, I think. Um, and it used to send me into a tailspin every night because something would come through and I'd read it and I'd be like, oh God, I haven't done that. I haven't done enough, all this stuff. And uh, it's not good for me. Um, so I don't have my work emails coming through to my phone, but I do have the Outlook web page in my Safari, so like I can check them if I want to. I usually don't, um, but I try to leave the lab at five. I try to leave everything in the lab because realistically, if I'm at home, what am I going to do? I'm going to get stressed about it, so I yeah. might as well not look. <laughs> it's interesting you make that point about work being your life because I, I'm the kind of, I mean, I'm the same. The sad thing is, is that when I am just working all the time. I feel really in control. I'm really on top of everything. And I kind of feel happier than I am when I'm working less, but doing personal things outside. Do you know what I mean? I think being on top of absolutely everything at work and being in control makes me happier than, than having a work-life balance and then, which feels really unhealthy. <laughs> so Mackie, if you wanted to... Um, I really resonate with that statement that like when I'm really busy at work, it makes me feel really good because I like what I do and I feel like it's, it's going somewhere. It's really great. The only downside to that, that I guess the listeners um, may, may want to pay attention to is that when you put your work so far up into your life and it becomes so important, when something goes wrong, because things do go wrong, especially in science, when something does go wrong, if you've put your science at such a high horse, the downfall is a lot bigger. So take those waves as they come. So when your work is going well and you want to work a bit more, do it. But always remember that your self-worth does not depend on your science. And that comes back to your title. No, that's a good, good point. Um, Isabel, how, how important do you feel it is to, to get away from the science without work activity? Yeah, the points that were, that was just on top of everything that was said so far. And it's the, the fact that we feel guilty when we're not working uh, or, and, and I do tend to do that a lot of the being in constant control and trying to be on top of everything. But at some point you just aren't, at some point you lose control because it's just so much. Uh, and, and it's definitely not healthy for you. So one thing you guys were mentioning phones, one thing that I've started doing is uh, at least in my phone I have a do not disturb option so after uh, I think it's 9 p.m. every day until 7 a.m. I think um, nothing comes up and that includes messages as well but then I choose if I want to go on WhatsApp and check if someone messaged me uh, so I'm, I've been much more in control and I did that for holidays as well I just put um, out of the office replies and just turn everything off and although I do 
it's hard for me to lose that control. I know it's good for me because then my mental health um, thanks me. Now on the fun facts, I wanted to touch a little bit on the fun facts that you mentioned, Adam, because as I said, aerial yoga was um, a bit of um, a, sh a short phase, but yoga has helped me, yoga and meditation has helped me so much. So I started halfway through my PhD and uh, it, it really helped me a lot. Um, it has been teaching me to pause when I have to, to accept things, to love myself. And then the video games. Uh, when I read um, uh, the fun facts uh, that you were going to touch on, <laughs> on today about me playing a lot of video games, that, that's so true for some specific times, like last week on Easter break, some weekends, I won't say maybe last evening. Um, <laughs> but truth is, most of the time that I do spend um, playing video games, it's, it's, it's with a really nice group of boys. And when I say boys, most of them are like, between 30s and 40s, so most are actually older than me. Um, but um, I'm just in a completely different world. I'm not Isabel anymore. I don't have experiments, abstracts, meetings, uh, career even to worry about. For those few hours, I am Dr. Cherry. And yes, I will admit, I changed my nickname after the PhD. <laughs> I was about to ask, what's your gamer tag? <laughs> it's, um, now it's Dr. Cherry Sweet. Um, yeah, it's very <laughs> tacky, but, uh, but yeah, on those few hours, I'm just Dr. Cherry, the healer or the space ninja. Um, and so it, it really helps me because it gets me away. And like, uh, it was mentioned, um, I think it's really important that our science doesn't define us, uh, because then we just get lost in it. And there's, there's so much more in life. There's so much more, um, that we can, um, that can even help us with our science because then we get creative or just by stepping away, we come back with a fresh mind, um, with a new perspective. Uh, I think it's really important and just to have fun actually, to just calm you down. I absolutely agree. And, and Katie spent a lot of time nodding during that, <laughs> that reply there as well. And, and I, I, can, I can see Katie has a Nintendo Switch controller in the background. Yes, and and I, I've got Nintendo Switch and Xbox. My gamer tag's Dino Rod, but I've had it for like 15 years. <laughs> and I, 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 I can share that experience. I have a group of like 20 people I've known for years. We've physically met once, um, which is always a little bit strange when you're in the pub and people are still calling each other by their gamer tags. Um, but um, I, I quite enjoy the skate too. And what, what are you playing at the moment, Katie? So I'm not as cool as everyone else because I'm currently playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> well, I've been playing Lego Harry Potter and it's really annoying me where the last gold brick is. <laughs> I love the Lego games. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I also play video games and I also do a lot of yoga. So I'm in the same boat as Isabel. I started doing yoga, I think, at the end of my master's and then really kicked it up during my PhD. Um because I just need a little bit of time like to myself and even if you don't buy into the whole mentality of yoga it's like it's really good exercise um I have a ton of joint problems so I've had to stop doing all your you know generic exercising and yoga is the only thing I can really do now to stop my joints falling out um so I try and do an hour or so a day um 
I do it with Yoga with Adrian on YouTube, and I am sure there'll be many people listening who know who she is. I love her. She is my internet best friend, even though she doesn't know who I am. Um, and at the moment, she I'm spending more time with her than with anyone else because I can put her on the telly. We can have a laugh together. Sounds really sad. <laughs> um, yeah, yoga's been a, a huge, huge part of sorting my mental health out in the last three, four years. Um, so I very much advocate for that as well. That's good. And we should add, you have got a boyfriend, right? I mean, you could always, you could always talk to him instead of <laughs> yoga lady. <laughs> okay, so, yes. <laughs> I also talk to him a lot. Um, uh, he also does yoga. He, he answers back, which is a problem, right? <laughs> oh, no, he's very good. Bless him. He's great. Um, yes. No, I could talk to my man friend, but, you know, Adrian's there. It's well, I'm, I'm going to put my next question to you, actually, back, back to you, Katie. Uh, I'm being serious for a moment. So when the science isn't going well, just how does that make you feel and, and how do you what do you do about it i mean for a really really long time my whole sense of like self-worth was defined by my research um <laughs> can see isabel nodding away well look something that everyone shares in common um yeah i mean it was really really tough starting my postdoc actually because I was trying to set up new technique in this lab. I was trying to do protocols, like things like immunohistochemistry, sorry. I've got the rabbits in the room with me and I'm really worried they're gonna start banging around. So I'm like looking over in the corner every so often to see the rabbits. Like trying to set up this technique in our lab, doing things that I'd spent my whole PhD doing um, that suddenly weren't working. And I was like, oh my God, uh, I guess I can't actually do science. Why am I here? Why am I doing this postdoc? Um, and I mean, it sucked. Like I would go home from work every day, cry down the phone to Charlie and my boyfriend and be like, this was a terrible decision. Why did I move here? I'm not very good. Like I can't do this. Um, they should have hired someone else. And like that, that was really, really hard. Um, so that's been something for the last sort of, eight months I'd say maybe like July last year was a turning point um I've been trying really really hard to separate me as a human being from me at work um and I'm still not 100% there like a lot of my anxiety at the moment is work related um so I think I'm going in the right direction. Like I'm just, I, I try more to take a step back now instead of descending immediately into a tailspin when something doesn't work. I'm like, right, hang on a second. Let's stop. Let's take a breath. Thank you, yoga. Um, and I go and talk to someone, be that other postdocs in the lab. I have a PhD friend from Southampton who I talk to like every day. She's my science pal. And whenever anything isn't working, we'll message each other, mostly for a moan, but actually just for a little bit of like a reality check. It's good. Cause it's like, hang on, this isn't the end of the world. This is quite a minor thing that's happened and it's fixable. Um, so was this pressure you were putting on your self-care? I mean, you know, genuinely when things go wrong, I mean, I, I think so much 
then the problems can be caused by other people because of course other people's reactions to you you know if you if your supervisor's coming off as disappointed or they're applying pressure that certainly doesn't help and i think then that's you know you, there's not a lot you can do with that other, other than try to decide how you're going to deal with the response you get but you, it might not provoke that kind of feeling within you if if that external supervision and that external support was presented in a different way and i i know the mrc's done that work recently but pushing back a little bit and giving that feedback to supervisors which nobody ever does to say look you could have just presented that a little bit differently instead of calling me a dick <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's very difficult to talk about that kind of thing on a public podcast isn't it so you don't want to be like oh my supervisor i don't think that no you, you don't have to name names but i suppose <laughs> is, it, is it fair to i mean did some of the problems you were feeling did you feel that they were external and it wasn't just yeah 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 i mean i definitely think whether pis mean to or not they play a huge part in the development and propagation of mental health problems in ECRs and in PhD students. Some PIs are very, very supportive. Some of my PhD friends, you know, have gone through their PhDs with mental health problems that haven't been exacerbated by a PI. Others, I've had friends that have left their PhDs because of their PI. I think, you know, it's, it's really tough. And part of that is that I think PIs themselves must have their own mental health struggles. Obviously, never been a PI, haven't got a clue. But I think there's this sort of like, I don't, words are really hard at the moment. There's like, it's not a food chain, but it's that sort of thing with mental health that comes down from the PIs to everybody else. And even if, you know, you don't intentionally frame your response to someone in a negative way i certainly always perceive things as negative i assume that everybody's annoyed at me i assume that nobody likes me and i assume that people regret inviting me to work with them even if that's not the case that's the first thing my brain will go to so you know i'm sure it absolutely is not the case but uh, but i i think it is important to to kind of recognize that particularly for any PIs who are out there who are listening to this, is to hear this feedback from early career researchers that whilst everybody might be putting a brave face on it at work or disappearing for a, to have a meltdown in the bathroom, um, that you can, you can make a big difference into changing that culture and to helping people in both how you present your feedback and also as well just being attentive and showing interest not to the point that you're kind of looking over somebody's shoulder all the time because that'll make everybody it's a fine balance that'll make everybody paranoid but enough interest that you can identify when things are going wrong that you can provide that help and support and katie do you want to come back on that i mean i i want to point out that i've seen a lot of really encouraging things on twitter now a lot of young pis are really actively pushing for a change in culture and a change in recognition of mental health and advocating for ecrs to work healthily which is really nice so like i think there are people moving in the right direction i certainly don't think that's a 
you know, uh, cross academia thing. But I think now it's being recognized and steps are being taken. Obviously the, the MRC report was a huge wake up to a lot of people. And I know that some PIs actually contacted their staff and were like, can we talk about this? Because I didn't realize. And I think, you know, there's, there's a shift happening. It's a very slow shift. Be nice if it was a little bit faster, but I think we're starting to recognize and hopefully implement change in a good direction. All right, thank you for making that point. That's really important. Um, I think we could talk about this this all day. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to make this podcast into a two-part special. So I'm going to ask you just to, we'll take a pause right now. Um, thank you very much to Katie Isabel Mackis for sharing with us so far. Um, if you have been affected by any of the things we're talking about today, please do know that help is out there and we'll put some links on our web pages. We have profiles on all of our panelists, including details of their Twitter accounts. Um, and if any of our listeners have any questions, we also have a busy WhatsApp community group where you can chat to other early career researchers. Um, we also have a new webinar series, so please do take a look at our website where you'll find details on that. Finally, remember to like, subscribe and share our podcast. Um, thank you very much again to everybody who's contributed. This is the end of part one. Please come back for part two, um, where we'll, we'll continue talking about this important subject. Thank you. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK and Alzheimer's Society, supporting early career dementia researchers across the world.